Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Welcome to this special edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin, with interviews recorded from the Embedded World 2023 exhibition and conference in Nuremberg, Germany. It was really a, a, a back-to-business type of conference, and everybody seemed to be quite uh, excited to, to be back and talking to their customers, partners, suppliers, and their networks. I've gathered a, a series of interviews with NXP Semiconductors, with ARM, Qualcomm, Silicon Labs, AD-Link Technologies, LDRA, and the Open Hardware Group. I think you'll get a little bit of a flavor of what's going on in everything from uh, Factory 5.0 and what uh, that might mean to uh, where we are with um, IoT and IoT deployments and uh, some of the areas like uh, reconfigurability of IoT processors. And also, like, uh, there's been a big trend around edge AI and edge vision. And some of the, the board vendors I, I spoke to included um, AD Link Technologies and Congatech. But uh, we have in this uh, uh, an interview with AD Link. And uh, then some of the areas around uh, tools, software tools and compliance, uh, which is a big area, including um, focus on MISRA. And then I'll talk to um, the Open Hardware Group on developments in the uh, RISC-V community. So without further ado, let's go straight to NXP Semiconductors. I'm talking to Clara Otero of uh, NXP Semiconductors. Clara, hello. Hi, uh, Nitin. Nice to meet you. Uh, we're talking at, uh, on your booth at Embedded World, and you've shown me a few things around uh, electrification, battery ma- high-voltage battery management, and software-defined factories. But this is all part of um, what you're involved with, Clara, which is that high-level system thinking and how that connects to things like energy optimization. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to. Yes. So at NXP, we try to understand the system in order to drive the IC and the software development that are required for those systems. And this is something that has started a few years ago. And in particular, in my role from one year ago, I started looking at the analog part in combination with the processing part. And that plays a role, of course, in electrification. What does system thinking for NXP means in electrification means that we are not anymore only thinking about what are the gate drivers, what are the processors that I needed independently. We are really thinking about what is the battery management system. How does battery management system work in the car? How does it work on the home storage, on residential, industrial storage? How does it connect to the electric vehicle charging? And how does it all play together in order to optimize the end-to-end energy and to minimize the end-to-end energy waste? Then the other thing we looked at was the software-defined factory, and that's, again, you're around the analog, analog system components. Yeah, so the analog front end, the NXP analog front end is a, is a component that we are bringing to the market, we have brought to the market. And what we are doing there is really bringing the, the analog closer to the digital world. Actually, we are updating our analog components, the connection to the analog world with software configuration. So we are able to configure the sensors, configure the analog parts on the smart factory, 
uh, on the fly. So if you need to reorganize your, your factory line, if you need to upgrade your sensor, if you need to change it, you are able to do it software defined. So you don't need to anymore go there, change the cables and change the, the, the components themselves. This allows for a more flexible situation. And of course, we retain the high precision analog and the accuracy components that we have. And we include uh, built-in self-test and many other analog goodies that then you can exploit also with a microcontroller, the i.mx, um, that is able to, uh, to look at also all the data and optimize, maybe use machine learning to be able to detect is my, uh, fact, is my sensor uh, degrading or how is, it, uh, how is it doing. And this again comes from the system thinking. You don't think anymore, oh, my customer is asking me for an analog component. No, we try to think proactively, like what will be required in the future. If you think about the big trend of the factory 4.0, factory 5.0, so, um, software-defined factory, what will be the requirements that they have into our analog products? And from there, we develop the next ICs. That's system thinking from X. You talked about factory 5.0. I don't think I've heard of that. What's that? <laughs> factory, so Factory 4.0 was very much about the software-defined uh, factories, it was about upgrading uh, uh, the, the analog components, getting more integrated, getting smarter. The fa Factory 5.0 is, is thinking of how can we make it more human, the factories? How can we link with the human? How can we help them, for example, if you have a factory that uh, equipment that might be a bit uh, dangerous, how can we make sure that we are really guiding the humans and making their life easier? So so it's, it will be the next step. Uh, once you have everything uh, configurable and, and software defined, how can we bring it closer to, to us that it becomes more intuitive to work in a factory? I'm sure we need to explore that a bit more at some point, but Clara, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I'm talking to Paul Williamson at ARM at uh, Embedded World. Paul, hello. Hi there, good to see you. So, Paul, uh, your focus uh, is uh, around the IoT uh, for ARM. Uh, what are the, the key uh, trends you're seeing? Uh... Yeah, it's really interesting to be here at Embedded World. We're seeing a um, real push in IoT for increased performance to support the increased complexity of software that's being deployed onto IoT platforms. So that's emerging in a number of areas, industrial and consumer. Um, we're seeing that with a push to high performance platforms, some of which we're seeing demonstrated here by our partners. Just to elaborate on some of that, uh, I think you're talking about some of the gateways uh, and things like that. Yeah, that's right. So um, as you get this more complex software environment of cloud-connected devices, there's an increased interest in deploying platforms that really in the industrial space, certainly Linux and in uh, the consumer space, Android variants in the sort of gateway devices, but also bridging that down into the end products themselves and having a sort of consistent software developer experience to deploy against those devices. Um, now, clearly different requirements, different markets, but underlying technology and platforms and tooling needs to be consistent for the software developer. And on that so platforms and tooling, you also get the, um, the framework for the, you know, the cloud compute. And you're looking at sort of moving that yeah, between the desktop environment as well. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, we're sat here next to the Microsoft booth and you can see uh, with things like Azure, the ability to manage a device in an operational technology environment means that you want to bring some of those consistent software developer frameworks and continuous integration techniques to the developer who's deploying in industrial. And so we've got a number of initiatives around making that more 
sort of stable framework in, in our hardware partners that can be deployed against for somebody who comes from a cloud developer background. And you see that in, in innovations like our ARM virtual hardware and our work with companies like GitHub to make that available to developers. Your OEMs, what are they telling you? I mean, what are the things, I think you talked about software as being a key focus. Yeah, I think so. So in industrial, as an OEM, you're clearly looking to manage your operational technology over a 10, 15 year time period. And to do that consistently, they're looking to be able to buy from suppliers who are willing to commit to that time frame on the hardware side, but also manage their software estate and keep it updated over that time frame. So it's a significant investment for them that's becoming an increasing part of their consideration. And so putting these tools and frameworks in place to give them that long life is very important. Well, Paul, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm talking to Dev Singh of Qualcomm here at Embedded World. Dev, hello. Hi. You've announced a new uh, 5G IoT integrated processors. Tell me a little bit about what they are, because we talked a few years ago, you talked about the RB1, RB3 platforms, robotics. That's evolved and it's part of an evolving Qualcomm strategy. So uh, today we announced three big things, right? One was uh, the RB1, RB2, which is actually a continuation of our, of our robotics offering. Earlier, we had launched two, three years ago, RB3, that served a high-tier platform. Then we launched the RB5, which is a premium-tier platform. Now, to complete the whole equation, we are launching the RB1, RB2, which are the entry-tier platforms, which you think about the likes of uh, Raspberry Pis or NVIDIA Nano, where these play. So this would be exactly in that field, but much more integrated with connectivity, a low power thermal footprint with AI and camera all together. And that's on the robotic side, but now you've uh, you talked about uh, more uh, in IoT. Correct. So for IoT specifically, we have two more uh, announcements that we did. This is the 6490 platform and the 5430. That's the family of devices. So 6490 is uniquely positioned with a very, very powerful processor with integrated 5G. The kicker here is that it also supports long life and also supports four operating systems as of today. Scope for expanding is more. So it supports Linux, Ubuntu, both classic and core is planned, and also industrial IoT, Windows IoT part of it, and then Android is given. So with this, I believe there's it opens up wide wide variety of deployment markets. You could go into... Android world to deploy kiosks, you could do industrial PCs using the 6490 industrial Windows IoT platform. So that's the second announcement. And the third one is the 5430, which is the same family of uh, chips, but the unique thing about it is also a 5G integrated platform for operating system. But at the same time, there's a concept of soft skew. What that means is you can reconfigure these in the field. Today, you can buy this processor and enable three cores, but later in the in the life cycle of the product, you think you may want to increase the AI performance or the computing performance. Just with a firmware upgrade on over the air, you can expand the capability. So you're future proofing your devices, getting paying for what you need today, and as you go, you pay for more processing, more AI at a later point. So this is a game changer for IoT specifically, in my opinion. Is there any particular reason you decided to do these products and, and go into IoT? Absolutely. This is only because the market needs something like this. We have been engaged with 15, 20,000 plus customers in this space. So 
in in industrial use cases, it is hard for making products on a yearly basis. They want to be on a stable platform that can last for 10 years. But at the same time, they know that five years from now, their headroom, they need the headroom to increase AI performance, to compute performance. So this is direct feedback. We listen to customers. That's one beauty about what Qualcomm does. We think about solving their problems. And this was uniquely for that particular reason. Are there any particular trends you're seeing in the IoT space right now? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, lot of trends, but mostly around AI, compute. So if you look at uh, the trend being, even in the industrial market, is the low power footprint. That's a huge one where the net zero carbon neutrality is number one care about for all big, big players. And how do you achieve that? You achieve that by doing more processing. That's what is needed because you are looking at factories of the future. You want more connectivity, but at an energy efficient footprint. And that's where our platform plays itself, lends itself beautifully because it's a heterogeneous compute and you use the right blocks for right applications. And while you're not using it, the system goes and collapse. Unlike just using CPU for anything or just using GPU for anything, we have dedicated blocks and that gives us that power thermal envelope advantage. And more than that is also integration of 5G, integration of more AI. I think that is the trend that's happening in the industrial, and that's where I think we are uniquely positioned to address that. And, and, and the power thing is quite important because moving beyond x86 into those uh, sort of lower power architectures, I guess. Absolutely. I think that is a huge, huge pain point for the industry, and we've recognized this. We've been talking to a lot of players who, who are like, okay, we want to add more, not less, but we want to do that at a much lower energy footprint. You can do computing, general purpose computing, but now adding AI is, you're going to add another dongle from somebody else, and that just keeps increasing. You need a integrated solution that is very energy efficient. And that's what's happening. Now, it's not just the chips. You've got the, the boards because one of the big trends in the embedded uh, space is people are looking more at boards and solutions. And also, on top of that, to increase penetration, you've uh, tied up with uh, a, a distribution partner. Absolutely. I know. Thanks for bringing the, uh, that up as well. That is very important because, again, industrial IoT and IoT is particularly is a very long tail market. Not everybody has the scale of doing a chip on board or not everybody has a... The complexity of silicon is going up and up because we integrate so much uh, at 4 nanometer, we pack in so much. And to that effect, time to market and those become important. And R&D effort for startups to big companies, it's actually a need for them to get something pre-made. For example, a system on module, SOM, with a carrier board that brings out all the peripherals, that they can easily, readily take it and put them in their product. And if their volumes are not super high, they can go commercial with those. And once their volumes reach to a particular uh, level, they can make the trade-off in terms of going on chip on board kind of stuff. So for those reasons, we have multiple module partners. We have Thundercom, Meg, Quetel, and others who are offering the 6490 and 5430 that we announced today. Arrow and, uh, and us, uh, Qualcomm, announced this strategic partnership in terms of uh, uh, edge labs, we call it, where both Arrow and Qualcomm are investing resources to build these platforms, make them so ready that people can take them and start building prototypes immediately and start launching products with less cycle time, less R&D investment. 
which is not only a board level, system level, but also a software package on top of it. Well, Dev, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm talking to Daniel Cooley of Silicon Labs uh, here at Embedded World in Nuremberg. Daniel, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good. You gave a keynote here, four key themes. Uh, tell us a little bit about what those themes are. Yeah, they're pretty simple. The first one is that we're making a request all embedded developers move to RTOS as fast as possible. Bare metal designs, just you don't need to do it anymore. The cost has come down and it's, it's much more accessible. Uh, the second one is to secure your products. You're collecting all kinds of information and data in the field every day, and you, those devices need to be running authenticated software. The IoT is going to run on authenticated code. Uh, the third one is to connect the device teams that are building physical products and the cloud teams that are managing those products. What we see, we sell to thousands of companies and we see some companies, those teams aren't integrated. They're not talking to each other very much. And the device, the, the management, the lifecycle management teams wish they could influence those decisions on the device today. The last one is to empower data governance. That's really a big issue out there as we're collecting all this data. You can get more from your data if you're doing this well and you can protect your company. How does that apply to what you're doing on, in terms of data governance? Well, you should make sure your data is encrypted and secure. You're collecting lots of it out there. You don't want it to be stolen. You don't want it to be accidentally leaked. Uh, so we have hard, we, we provide base technology. We're very deep in the supply chain, but we provide base technology to make that possible. But again, we sell to thousands of companies. Some are more advanced in this and some are more in the early stage. Now, one of the themes that's like uh, becoming more concrete here is the connected edge intelligence and security has become a big thing. But tell me what you're seeing. Sure. So machine learning is now accessible and embedded. You know, it, it's kind of come out of data centers and cars and phones. And just like many technologies, now it's come to embedded space. So you can now run battery-powered machine learning algorithms for inference on all kinds of things, whether it's on an audio channel, video, or even just looking for events like uh, anomalies or, or predictive maintenance. What's the key thing for Silicon Labs this year? Uh, well, this year at Embedded World, we're launching a new product. It's called the XG27. It, 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 it's the next generation in our, in our Series 2 version of products. It's a great chip for matter, for Bluetooth, and it also allows lower input voltages. We're seeing uh, more and more different kinds of batteries being deployed in the IoT and, and starting to see energy harvesting. So we need you know, to support a wider voltage range on these chips, and that's one of the big new additions to the family. And the other thing we talked about very briefly was um, uh, things like uh, multi-protocol radios. Yeah, so multi-protocol, uh, we sell all the protocols. We've been building this for a long time. Whether it's different kinds of protocols on different radio frequencies or different protocols on the same radio frequency, like Bluetooth and, and Zigbee at 2.4 gig. Customers want their devices to be able to talk to backhaul network, tablet, and an in-home or an in-building in, in um, network being run from a gateway. So there is not one wireless standard that's going to win. There's going to be lots of them for a long time to come. And a lot, a lot are including Wi-Fi now, you were saying as well. Yeah, Wi-Fi is really coming into embedded in a big way. It's one of the last standards to get there. It's really thought of as a consumer technology for TVs and laptops and phones. But the industrial, commercial, retail, smart building applications are starting to adopt it in a very serious way. Well, Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I'm talking to Stephen Wang, President and CEO of AD-Link Technologies. Uh, Stephen, hello. Hello. Tell me, um, uh, what are the key trends that you've seen over the last 12 months, both for AD-Link 
as well as the industry. Okay, so uh, industry uh, booming very fast, and there's a lot of innovation in that industry. So currently, I think last year, for the uh, past uh, 12 months, even in the COVID situation in the China, Latang, in the material shortage uh, situation, so I think still uh, have a lot of new technology and uh, new products. The most important one for editing definitely we have uh, a lot of uh, silicon patterns like Qualcomm and NVIDIA. We work with them to showcase, to develop a lot of new products on AI and computer module. We demonstrate in, in embedded world. And uh, I think we also have ADAS product for uh, transportation. And uh, uh, most importantly, I think spend a lot of effort on this kind of uh, AMR, autonomous mobile robotics product for box PC or uh, we joint venture with a company to have AMR product okay. running in the field right now. And uh, I think the most trend for the edge computing in the future is AI. So we do have demonstrated a lot of our uh, AI product here in the show. In the industry, you said, is, is moving towards um, autonomous and uh, AMR. But uh, in terms of AD-Link's core business, it's around uh, automation right now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. AD-Link starts from uh, data acquisition and automation business. So this is still our bread and butter right now. Yeah. So we rely on a lot. So uh, even though I think uh, during uh, the economic situation, so the economy is slowed down a little bit, but still AD-Link spend a lot of effort on this kind of product. We have HMI development in uh, just launch this year and the HMI for automation, and we have uh, EtherCAD, SoftwareCAD, software EtherCAD, and hardware EtherCAD. And we also see uh, the machine vision, this the field. They are really uh, have a transformation from traditional rule-based uh, AI inspection to AI moving to AI inspection. This kind of uh, technology happening right now. So we spend a lot of effort on that. And one of, one of the things I think you told me is uh, the big trend is is the move to EtherCAT, but also AI vision cameras and uh, low-code, no-code. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the big trends. Okay. So, you know, EtherCAT, they can connect with multiple brands, servo motor, sensor, together. So, uh, with just one EtherCAT, very simple connection, serious. So, it makes the, the wiring simple, make the application uh, more easily for the system integrator. So uh, I think uh, Edinga already have doing all the computer tests with all kinds of brands of servo motor. Uh, and we have our edge computing integrates with our software is a cat. So I, I think uh, we see more and more customer, no matter in Asia Pacific, in China. Uh, they already adopt, or, or even the most important semiconductor equipment maker in the world. They already introduced, uh, uh, adopt this technology for their certain development. And for AI, I think, uh, yeah, the trend is moving to no-code and the low-code for the engineer. So you don't need to write a, a bunch of codes for, for application. Uh, maybe you just uh, treat this kind of AI inspection like ABB. In the future, you can download a lot of very simple algorithm from, and you can develop your application very easily. So I think this is a trend will happen in next few years. And is that, are there any examples of that that you've seen with customers that you can talk about? Yes. Yes. For example, for 2D code inspection, for food inspection, and uh, even uh, on, on this kind of assembly line, or, uh, uh, security. Okay. Yeah, security, yeah, and a safety function in the factory. 
you, you know, safety, the human human life is very important in, 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 in the factory and the safety function. I think these are all very important functions. Yeah. And uh, 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 all that will happen uh, in this kind of AI. In and finally, uh, some of the, some new products you're launching uh, or you've launched uh, this year at Embedded World. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. I think a joint launch with Intel about we use uh, Intel uh, digital graphic. You know, Intel is a little bit high on NVIDIA, but still we work with Intel to uh, launch. This is the first time we launch this kind of MSM cards, digital graphic card in, the, in, in here. And then we also demonstrate a lot of product together with Qualcomm, and then with, with NVIDIA, with Intel. So we work with our partner to demonstrate a lot of new product here. And then we have all our ADAS, autonomous driving, and the, uh, controller, embedded controller product launch in this show. Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your interview. Have a good day. I'm talking to Jim McElroy of LDRA. Jim, hello. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good. What's LDRA uh, announcing here? Well, first of all, thanks again for that introduction. Uh, here at the show, we're talking about our support primarily for multi-core applications and our support for the latest release of the MISR standard, MISR C 2023. We've also done some work with NXP that we're introducing in terms of uh, supporting their latest uh, processor unit. The S32G3, which is a very powerful device, again, multi-core, and how we're providing verification and validation technology for those markets in general. Now, uh, elaborate a little bit. So your focus areas for LDRA is, although there's a lot of areas, but it's around uh, conformance for uh, applications in automotive and aerospace and defense. Yeah, absolutely right. The reality is that the, the customers who receive the most benefit from LDRA technology and services are those that need to show that they are complying with a particular standard. So they're driven by functional safety and security standards. So we help them from requirements all the way through verification and validation. And, and one of the things I think you do is, um, I think you talked about um, uh, airworthiness and timing measurement and uh, push button uh, automated reports on conformance and compliance. Tell me a little bit about that, just elaborate. Yeah, sure. Well, part of the overall software development lifecycle is making sure that you have traceability from a requirement all the way through the source code. That includes applications that are targeting both single core and multi-core applications. From a timing analysis perspective, a lot of the standards uh, require that you, you understand, number one, what are the effects of any interference channels on multi-core applications. Let's talk a little bit about the higher end first. Uh, so our tool suite helps you, number one, identify those interference channels, and number two, understand the ramifications on each of the individual cores should they be contending for a particular resource. So that, that timing uh, analysis, if you will, or timing measurement is very key to a lot of our customers in the safety and security critical markets. In the end, we're generating reports for them to demonstrate compliance with those standards, literally with the push of a button. And I think what you also talked about is automating the identification of non-conformant code. Yes, definitely. One of the key elements of the tool suite and where it started really was with static analysis. And what we're talking about here at the show is our support for that latest MISRA C standard, 2023. Uh, coding standards compliance is a key element of that. And our tool suite will allow you to analyze that code and show or demonstrate compliance with that code and that particular standard. And what differentiates LDRA um, in the verification and valid validation ecosystem? 
I would have to say it's probably our expertise in the real-time embedded market. We're a bits and bytes company, believe it or not. Uh, so it's our understanding of the core problems that our customers have, whether they have operating systems and target hardware in place or not. But very quick feedback in the beginning of their development stages, analyzing their code prior to compilation, that comes comes very naturally and is a good starting point. But like like I said, really, it's uh, what differentiates us is helping our customers down on the target, understand the real problems, and helping them test their software on those target platforms. And that's mainly in like uh, mission critical, safety critical environments. Yeah, most definitely it is. It's uh, you know, like I say, like I was saying, really, our core customers are those that need to comply with functional safety and security in those critical environments. Uh, let's talk a little bit more uh, more broadly on industry. So, what are the industry trends you, you're seeing, maybe amongst your customers? I would say the one that is probably most obvious is autonomy and electrification. That goes across automotive, aerospace, defense. Uh, we're seeing trucking running autonomously. Uh, when I say electrification, this is uh, all uh, battery-driven systems, if you will, and, and the technology that's being, to, being deployed to control those battery management systems, as an example. And any other trends um, I think you talked about yeah, in the sort of software side as well? I think in general, from a development perspective, our customers are looking for more flexible tooling and packaging so they can have easier access to tools. So cloud-based computing is becoming increasingly important and usability in general. And you talked about the DevSecOps as well and the security. Yeah, a lot of our customers are very much concerned with security and the whole agile development process of uh, the concern moving security up front, finding those security vulnerabilities early where they're less costly to fix, that's a key component of our user base, frankly. You know, they they want to make sure that's addressed before they deploy their systems. Jim, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. I'm talking to Rick O'Connor, Open Hardware Group. Rick, hello. Hi, Nathan. How are you? So we talked almost a year ago, Embedded World in Nuremberg, and uh, you had your Core 5 MCU announcement, uh, which we covered. What's new since then, and how is the Open Hardware Group uh, sort of evolved in addressing some of the trends in industry today? The ecosystem continues to grow. Uh, we have uh, you know, many new projects underway, and building on top of the original SOC integration that we did with the Core 5 MCU, we have two, we actually have more, but the two that I think are interesting to talk about today are, uh, one is a Core 5 trusted MCU with a secure boot environment, trusted execution environment, a, a dual core device with a CVE2 family, the smaller two-stage core in, in the secure boot environment, and then our four-stage embedded class core CVE4 family as the application core in the MCU. Um, and that will be targeted at Global uh, Foundry's 22FDX as well. So that's a very interesting project uh, being led by the team at CryptoQuantique and uh, Low Power uh, Futures, LPF. Uh, so that's a, that's a very interesting uh, project that is just at the beginning stages. They've kind of just locked down the overall architecture for the SOC and are starting to integrate some of the building blocks. Uh, because as you know, up until now, uh, most of the projects within the open hardware ecosystem have been on the IP blocks themselves as opposed to top level integration into an SOC. The first one we did was the Core 5 MCU, and now with this Core 5 Trusted MCU, it'll be the first dual core device. And then on the application class side, it's uh, sort of a, a bigger, smarter IoT device uh, that's vision capable, a, a device called the Core 5 Vision APU, is uh, got our 64-bit Linux-capable core, 
uh, with the vector accelerator attached to it, uh, developed by ETA Zurich and Polytechnique Montréal, um, as the application core in the SOC, and then in the low power domain, the, the four-stage embedded class core is always on, if you will, and looking to see if some event occurred, even though it can't tell what the event is, just that something happened, and then turn on the big engine, the 64-bit core with the vector accelerator to actually analyze the image and determine that, oh yeah, this is something that I care about, and you know, signal a user. So a vision, vision class, uh, um, IoT device, smart IoT device, all built with open source building blocks. When can we expect uh, implementation in product? Right, so both of those projects are at the early stages of definition, um, and the teams are, are being quite aggressive. They want to get to you know, an integrated SOC top level uh, design that, that can go to FAB this year. So the intent is uh, to tape out in 22 FDX, uh, again, with our, our, our good friends at Global uh, later this year. You know, realistically, will that move? You know, probably. Uh, most, most of the tape outs I've ever been involved with in my career uh, have had be, uh, you know, more, maybe more ambitious uh, 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 schedules than they should have had, but you know, this can go faster by more, more uh, contributors deciding to, co to collaborate. So. One of the things I think, um, I'm not sure everybody gets, is uh, you're a sort of community and it's uh, the projects and cores are developed by the members. Uh, just outline how, how it works and uh, sort of your, your role and involvement. Sure. Yeah, we do get that a lot, actually. Uh, there's, there's sort of this myth that, hey, the open hardware guys, like we have this staff of engineers you know, that are doing the development. Uh, we do have a staff of engineers, but these are contributed engineers from the member companies. So just think of any multinational conglomerate. They would have development sites maybe around the world, and those distributed engineers are collaborating on a design inside their firewall, in their own revision control system, whatever they've implemented. And, you know, they're, they're pushing changes up into, into the master branch, master repo and all that stuff. Same development flow, except now these engineers don't all work for the same company. They come from the member companies, assembled into a virtual team. The developments in the public domain in our GitHub repos, which are available to anyone, you don't have to be a member. And what the open hardware staff does is we help curate those projects and guide how contributions are made, how pull requests are reviewed, to make sure we control the integrity and quality of the RTL that's getting, uh, getting developed. But the products are owned by the members. Well, there's no actual ownership, right? Because it's open source, so everyone owns them. Because these are, these are public, uh, public domain repositories. So the contribution rules, uh, you know, with the open source licenses, uh, it, you know, it's, it's owned by everyone in the ecosystem, but, but it comes from the engineer, engineer contrib engineering contributors from the member companies. Well, Rick, thank you very much. Good to see you again, Nitin, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, selection of interviews from Embedded World 2023. Uh, that brings us to the end of the podcast. I'm Nitin Dahad, and uh, see you in the next one.